I know you are, but what am I? Uh, today we have a very special guest. Uh, it's my pleasure um, to speak to this lady, author of "Kill My Son," a mother's wait for justice. I have um, the very intelligent um, Charmaine Roots Castillo. How are you doing, Charmaine? I'm doing good, Jay. Uh, this podcast is real. Um, me, um, for a long time. I knew. I was just actually thinking before um, we started recording. Like I think I knew him for like twelve years. Like I think it's two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, when we first met, and uh, we met, uh, it's like he was just so open to talk to me, and uh, it was like it was like a brother connection. And um, I'm not the only one that he he opened himself up like he's like a brother to everybody. That was Curtis. Yeah, that's how he was. Everybody that he met was his friends. And when he was younger, I used to try to kind of warn him. I'm like, Curtis, you don't even know them. He's like, oh, he's my friend. I'm like, you don't even know them. But but then it happened so much. I said, you know what? That's just the way he is. He sees everybody with an open heart and he embraces everyone. And that's kind of a good way to be. But even though I wanted him to be a little cautious about who he called friend, I, that's who he was. So I, I let Curtis be Curtis. And if you met him, if he met you, you were instantly his friend. If he talked to you, you were his friend. And he was genuine about that. And that's how he saw the world. And, and you know, the world would be a better place if, every, if everybody saw the world through Curtis's eyes. But um, that's just how he was. Yeah. Uh, I used to warn him about, I used to just like, yo, you're, you're a black man. You can't just, like, he was, he was, he had no filter. He right. Anything. Um, be around anybody like he didn't it seemed like he didn't see race um, I'm, I, I was telling him like uh, you know there's, I was telling him there's a certain way you have to carry yourself you know what I mean He's, he was um, I think like five years younger than me so I looked at him as a little bro and I was uh, like the way you you know, carry yourself, but you know your your son's hard headed. But at the same time, he was um, <laughs> he he did things his way, and he made it his way. You know, um, he was extremely smart. Like he was telling me, like the first thing, you know, conversations we was talking about for uh, psychology. And he was like, he said, you know, I'll be Jedi mind-checking these people. Like, they just see a Southerner. They think he's dumb. He just 
You know, you, you know, you think he's slow, but I'll be really getting him. And I know, and it took me a while to notice that. Like, he definitely um, was playing, he was playing chess while everyone else was playing checkers. <laughs> Curtis amazed me. He, he always amazed me because when, when he left Tampa, you know, when he was like 19 or, or however he was when he left Tampa, I didn't see him a lot or I wasn't around him at all because I hadn't seen him since he left Tampa until I went up there to visit him like a few months before he died. But Curtis, he just amazed me at his intellect, the things he would say, his perspectives. And a lot of times we would have a conversation and I'm like, oh yeah, right, Curtis. And I'm thinking, I'm just shaking my head going, this kid is smart. And then, you know, because I have three smart kids, you know, my, his brother and, and the sister, they're all intelligent kids. But, um, you know, that was the Curtis way. That was the Curtis vibe. He, he was just a cool, cool dude. Not was. He, 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 Curtis is cool. Yeah, I remember one incident um, of the cops harassed Curtis on the train um, for having his foot up. And they said he was, and mind you, this was like four o'clock in the morning. Nobody was on the train, but the cops came down to his car and they arrested him uh, for taking up two seats. And um, while he was there, um, the this DJ, a friend of ours, Monica Sharp, um, shout outs to her. She did a fundraiser and raised some funds for him when he got home. That was wow. the type of yeah, that was the type of person Curtis was. Curtis was a type of person you wanted to do for. It was like it was so weird because every time. It was a certain time that every time before I went home, I would run into Curtis. <laughs> I would, it, it was just like, yo, let's go to Bagel Smith, get something to eat, you know, say a swipe on the train. It was like, he was a type of person that you felt rewarded by giving. Because his heart was so big. It was. He he told me some of the, you know, when I was there and we were just walking by people and, and there was this guy just sitting on the street, this homeless guy. And of course, you know what Curtis said, oh, that's my friend. And he called his name and, you know, he'll walk by and just give him $20. He'll walk by and give him $50. And I'm thinking, Curtis, you, you calling me, telling me you need some money. And I'm sending you money and you giving the money away. But I couldn't really be mad at him because that was his heart. And, and I trained him to be a giver. And he was that by example. He got that generously. But that's how he was. I'm like, man, <laughs> you're just giving money away. But, you know, when he was growing up, I never had to buy him tennis shoes, skateboarding shoes. Because um, he came home one time and he did, he was a skateboarder. Of course, if you know him, you know he, he was in that culture. He was a skateboarder. And he started doing that early on and he just loved it. But one time he came home and he didn't have on his shoes. And I'm like, 
curse where are your shoes he was like oh this kid didn't have no shoes i just gave him my shoes and you know i would have been mad normally but because i knew curtis and i knew his heart and i taught him about the principle of giving you give and it's going to come back to you you give it's going to come back to you i thought for a moment I'm never going to have to buy him shoes because somebody's always going to be giving him shoes. And sure enough, one day he started coming in with all these boxes of, of skateboarding shoes. And I'm like, Curtis, where are you getting these shoes from? They're, oh, I got a sponsor. I'm like, what? So from that moment, I never had to buy Curtis shoes. The only pair of shoes I had to buy him was a pair of dress shoes when he graduated from high school. Yeah. But, um, you know, I taught him that principle, see, time, harvest, you give, and it's going to come back to you. And it came back to Curtis and shoes, skateboarding shoes at that. It was very specific. So, yeah, Curtis was a giver. He would give the shirt off of his back. He would. I heard so many stories about Curtis giving, 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 because Curtis is a giver. So, just, yeah, that. There's one thing that I realized um, so much about uh, Curtis is that what I always found beautiful is that Curtis represented independent thought. For sure. Like, not only that, it's like it, if someone would look at him and uh, make a guess, that's they would be wrong. You couldn't stereotype that type of brother. Yes. (laughs) He was into so many things. Like, he was so down. He was so down so hood. But he he could get into some serious white boy. He gets into some serious intellectual stuff. Like, he can tell you what time it was on what uh, on what what country, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it is, I found it uh, you know, so amazing that that I met this young man, you know, um, at the time I did because uh, he taught me to to give more, you know. Wow. Actually, the last text I had for him, he was texting me about this job he just got. And he needed, he said, he said, he said, I'm just, I just want to see if you good, fam. You know what I mean? Like, want to end this job. And I was like, I appreciate it. I love you. And that was the last, I still got it on my phone. This last text I had from him. Wow. When was uh, that? This, I think this was before I came that This may have been 2016. Okay. Um, I want to talk about uh, your book and circumstances surrounding it. Um, Like I told you before, I've, I think I had this book for a year, and it's what you say, uh, 40. Five, six, forty-five pages, and it's hard for me to get through because the emotion I have uh, case of your son. Uh, you like to talk about your book and the purpose of you writing it? 
Yeah, um, this book came as a result of, you know, everything that happened at the time it happened. I was, I've always known that I've had books inside of me. And I always wanted to share my life's experience through a book, through a journal. I'm like, I'm, of, of all the things that I went through in my life, I felt like somebody would benefit from the wisdom that I gained from it and from just the insight and that I'm going through all of this stuff in my life from beginning to end. You know, I mean, we all have issues and we all go through stuff, but I just felt like it was for for me to put in a book to share with somebody to help them out. But at the time that, that Curtis died, I had an opportunity to write a story and of course, that was just the first story. I, I used this book for healing for myself to just write out that story. And because of this book, I became a published author. This is my first book, but it, it was really our story. You know, I just wanted to share something about Curtis and who he was to me. And I learned a lot about him after he died from all of his friends, all of the people that that whose life he impacted. You know, a lot of it came to me after he died, but I just wanted to share who kind of who he was and how he was and and then kind of what happened because this was like me getting out the story because I was pretty frustrated, you know, with the the, the way that things turned out, the response that I got from NYPD, the fact that I found out about it on Facebook two days after he was declared dead. No one had called me. And when I called them, they're like, they didn't even take my name and number and stuff like that. So I just wrote this book really just to get it out of my system and just to kind of examine what's really on the inside of me concerning the whole thing. You know, I did a chapter on anger management because I was angry, but I had, I could not live with that anger on the inside of me. You know, part of my story is about how I forgave Everybody who was involved, you know, I mean, still no one's come forward, but um, still I use this book as a process of healing for me to the point where I could talk about it. And now I'm to the point that I can talk about it. You know, it, it, it's still painful. It still hurts, but I'm living through it. I can talk about it. I can help. It's a form of healing for me. I got to write out my emotions. I got to reexamine my emotions to see what was still happening because I, I wrote this book a few months after he died. And so everything was fresh. You know, my emotions were fresh. My thoughts were fresh when I wrote it. So, I mean, everything came out that was there at the time and more has come out since, you know, because I've been hearing, you know, other things through the grapevine about what the deal was. But um, it, it was just a way for me to process initially the whole shock of everything that happened. And, and it did provide a sense of healing for me so that I could move on. You know, um, I, I was a, it took me a few months before I could even pick the book up and read it myself. So I understand what you say, you know, you have a hard time going through it. I'm like, well, it's my book. I got to remember what I wrote, you know, because at the time things were so fresh, but, um, the Good Refresher is my story. It has provided a sense of healing. Um, I don't know how much healing it provides for people who read it 
because it's really not a healing book for anybody else but me. And if I want to bring healing to other people through my story, it has to be through another uh, another avenue, another platform. And and I'll be working on that later. You know, I, I kind of set up a website so I could kind of share some insight and share some positivity, you know, because Curtis was all about that positivity. So What's I try to try to. What's the name of the website? 56 Silver Fox. Dot com. Okay. Two X's. Five six silver fox. F O X X. And what's the uh, name of the um? I mean, what's the website about? Well, it's it's just my expression of um. You know, I I this book caused me to want to write more. I really enjoyed the process of writing because it kind of helped me heal. So, you know, just when I think about something that's going to be positive and can influence people in a positive way, I just like to write about it and put some blogs out there. I call them blogs. They're just like articles that I just post from that, that come from my heart. And, and my thought is if somebody reads it, they're going to be uplifted because that's the whole idea of that website is just to bring uplift and a positive perspective to a lot of things that's going on in life. And, you know, I, I just got started posting more and more things, but, um, you know, just sharing from my heart things that are going to um, just give people something to think about and, and, and come out with a different perspective in a positive way. And so that's the gist of the website, you know. Um, it was just another form of healing for me because I enjoy writing. I'm like, what else can I write now? Let me just share it. If no, if if only one person reads something and they're uplifted by it, then then that's good for me. Um, one thing I I would say, um, uh, Curtis' death really took a toll on me. I remember that day. Um, I remember people looking for him. And people put out that post. And it was like, um, and then there's, I think, some time go by. And I was like, oh, um, and I'm just, I'm, you know, putting the best construction on it. I said, man, that fool probably, you know, you know <laughs> low and nobody, you don't, you don't want no one to know he's chilling somewhere. He just, he just got low and, He's like um, on an uh, excursion. And, uh, you know, I was Friday. It was later that was on August, on a Friday, I my whole day. And I said, let me just check on, check, check on Kurt. And then um, I saw the news. Yeah. And, um, I don't handle death the same as, I mean, so it's, it's very from person to person. This, right. I wish I cried for. And some people, like, I can, you know, I feel pain, but I can't cry for. Yeah. Um, because how they live their life and they live their life, very fulfilling. So I'm more happy for the, them in their transition. But when Curtis and Rita, he died. I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't stop it. If I wanted to, I, I couldn't stop it. Um, mainly because 
the how. Um, yeah, cause cause the how was he didn't he didn't just die; he was killed. Yeah, he was a, killed. He was a, murdered. Huh. A person like in the in a person like that being killed is so unfortunate. Um, what what I found interesting was the fact that. Um, Kurt had my back. I had to more than not like had to pull him out of a situation. Converse, he had a conversation with somebody that wasn't going, you know, saying the positive direction. And I was like, Kurt, Kurt, and I may see him um alone in places, but he didn't go to places alone. He made sure he had people with him. This is why um, Infinite makes me so sick because it's that New York um, don't say nothing, don't do nothing mentality. You know, these people are, I don't, I don't think these people are from, I knew the type of people he hanged around. These people weren't from the street life where they had a no snitch code but they didn't do nothing. Yeah. As if I was there because I've been on his excursions with him, you know, and I just, I don't know. I can't, I I, I can't, but it's like, I knew for a fact that this wouldn't happen if I was in New York. I know at least I would have got a tech or you wanna you wanna go to this art gallery. So for me, it hurts because it was so preventable. Yeah, and that's that happens sometimes when when people die and, and people that love them start feeling like it's something that they could have done. What could I have done? Maybe if I had been there, this wouldn't have happened. If I had done this, if I had done that, and then people start second guessing themselves, and then guilt latches onto them and, and guilt brings you down. But you know, I just encourage people not to allow that to happen to them because that's just as harmful as unforgiveness in your heart. That's just as harmful as hate in your heart. Anything that will bring you down like that, you know, there's an appointed time for everybody to leave this earth. I don't believe that was, I believe that Curtis left before his time, but it had to have been an appointed time for him and there's nothing nobody could have done to prevent it. And, And the timing of his death was really instrumental in the timing of me digging down on the inside of me and bringing up everything that needs that that the world needs from me in this hour whatever that may be that's what I am opening my mouth to share with the world my perspective my thoughts I feel like Curtis did not die in vain his death woke me up to a certain degree it woke up everything on the inside of me because everything on the inside of me needed an outlet now because I was kind of reserved and quiet before and I kept it myself nobody knew who I was I minded my own business you know I just wanted to live my life I just wanted to live my life but 
by him dying, I felt like his life had greater purpose and it wasn't time for him to go. So I kind of want to live my life vicariously through him dying, you know, it's like, and, and that's what I say. When he died, I became alive and I'm going to keep his legacy alive. All the good that he did in the earth, all the positivity that he produced while he was there, all the people that he loved and all the people that loved him is going to come out through me. That was my seed. That was my seed. That was my son. So something was imparted in him from me. And I'm 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 still here. So I'm feel like I'm gonna be the representative to continue that positive vibe that Curtis put out and, and everything that I do. Really, I have him in mind because um he's the one that gave me the 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 motivation to not lay down and die, to just keep going because I could hear him saying, Mom, if you're gonna cry, I'm out of here. Well, you know, I'm yeah. kind of crying right now, but there's nothing he could do about it. But really, you know, my I owe my life. I feel like I owe my life to him because he, the way that he lived his life, I want to live my life that way. Just, just loving people, just, just being the love, regardless of what people do or say. You know, just being my true self, my authentic self. And and either you love me or you don't, but most people are gonna love me because I'm a genuine good human being and that's what the world needs. Some really good people and, and Curtis was good people. That was beautiful. I wanted to read um excerpt on the back of your book. Uh, words that you authored and, and telling about the case. Oh yeah, what what page you on? No, this is the back of the book because this is I want to talk oh, about that part. Oh yeah, grab me. This is the one of the reasons why I've been I was I wanted to get out of this out of that city for a long time. Wow! Uh, so I'll start on August nineteenth, two thousand and seven. Her son was brutally assaulted on the streets of New York and died as a result of injuries received at assault. Curtis Ellis Valentine Jr. was 32 years old. The, new, the NYPD did not call to inform her her son had died. She found out about it on Facebook. Several bystanders recorded the assault by their cell phone, yet no one has come forward to share with the police what they witnessed. Those who participated in the assault and all who assisted with the cover-up are still walking free as they taunt no faith, no case. As this mother waits for justice, she describes her journey, grief, peace, and power of forgiveness. She shares and encourages a story of turning tragedy into triumph as she rides the way through the dark, darkest storm of her life. Now, I was, when I found out about Curtis' death, and the circumstances around it. It didn't shock me. It shocked me that someone I love went through this, but 
how he died, it really didn't shock me. The fact that um people were around on their cell phones recording. I was just speaking to to a friend about this. This um this culture that um we wanna record we have this sense of let's record but we don't say anything. No one spoke up. I remember um this one lady was gonna you know throw herself from the train and I'm trying to see if anyone can get to her to talk. Everyone had their cell phone. No one said anything. Wow. I spoke to the the young lady and um, you know, she tried to convince me she wasn't going to do anything. She was okay. I didn't believe her. So I said, I'm sitting right here. I'm pretty sure you don't do it. And um, thank God a young man came and he um, he gently, because I didn't know what to do in the situation. She was underage. I didn't want to touch her and and um, grab her, you know what I'm saying, because of, you know, um, the implications, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Older, you know, saying older man. Um, and but this young man, this, this girl was a high school age girl. And he, this younger man grabbed her arm and uh, walked off the train and walked with her to talk to her. But everyone had their cell phones. Yeah. On the jump. And I don't, I can't tell you what in the world would make a person not help a person. Not the person who's drowning. Someone doesn't try to go and save that person. Yeah. Someone being choked. And three people, they're watching him die. I can see how possible. This is why with George Floyd it triggered me it's like the reason why I uh, um, I got in touch with you and um, I like I have to have on the show I was like she should have been the first person I had on the show I should have had on the show I, I, I regret I didn't reach out to you first um, but it reminded me a lot do you have any um does the case with George Floyd remind you of uh, what happened with Curtis? Yeah, but even before that, the, it was the Ahmed Aubrey. Yeah. Um, and I heard his mom, they interviewed his mom, and she was saying how the police weren't telling her the truth. And that kind of, re- when I heard her say that, I'm like, I know how you feel. They were just telling, and, and she was right there in that town. See, Curtis was in New York and I'm in Florida, but she was right there in that same town. And I, that resonated with me. And I was like, 
man, I know how you feel. And then that triggers something on the inside of me. And then here we go, turn right back around and here's George Floyd. I, I almost lost it with that because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And and when he, when he called out for his mom, that's the thing that really got me. That sent me into a tailspin and I had to recover. It seemed like every all the peace that I have from that that came from Curtis's death and me finding peace with that is like it opened a wound up when I when I heard him say that when he called for his mom. I, I, I could not believe what I was hearing. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I didn't want to see anymore. But then the next day they kept playing it over and over and over. And every time I didn't want to see it, but I wanted to see it. I wanted to feel again. And and just to know what those families are going through, I, I can relate to any family that's dealing with that for people to stand around and record it and not do anything. Of course, in the you know, the George Floyd case, it wasn't a whole lot they could have done unless everybody just bum rushed it and risked death, you know, but it might have saved his life if they had done that. But just humanity, just the humanity, the lack of it, you know, um, it, it really it really struck a chord with me. And those back is happening back to back. And then all the other ones started coming back to me and, and all the way back to um to when it really resonated with me, with Trayvon Martin. Yeah, in the same state. I was, that was, that I was, was the one. That, Trayvon just popped in my head right before you You said it. Yeah. But you, yeah. you remember that case, though. You was in the state. What was it like um, in Florida, uh, you being in Tampa, what was it like in the state when that happened? Um, the same as it w was everywhere in the world, because no matter where it happens in the world, when you see that, it hits you right where you are, right in your home. So, you know, it really hit home for me. You know, I, I really watched that case. And and I remember when the night that the verdict came, you know, I was waiting up because I wanted to hear the verdict. And, and my husband and I, we were at the beach and you know, and I stayed up late that night to hear the verdict. And when the verdict came back, it, it something it uh, I, I can't really explain how I felt, but it's like I kind of knew it. I'm not surprised that it went that way, but it still troubled me. And the next morning I just went out to the beach, you know, just that quiet, just the ways I say, God, you know, what what's your take on it? And I just had an impression to pray for the one that killed him. I'm like, pray for him, why? You know, why not pray for Trayvon's family? You know, and it was kind of like, they're gonna be okay. They're gonna make it through this. But the one that did this, it's, it's gonna be bad for him. It's gonna be really bad for him. So I kind of said like a halfway prayer, protect him because he's gonna need protection. but. Vengeance is yours, and he's not getting. He may have gotten away with that, but he's not getting away. He's not getting away. Like his life is a is a life of torment. Every yeah. single day that he lives, his life he's in torment because he knows what he did, and God knows what he did, and you don't really get away with it. And that's kind of what I say for the people that were standing around. You know, 
video recording what was going on with Curtis, that assault, the ones that did it, the ones that covered it up, you know, um, i.e. his roommate. I'm pretty sure he had something to do with it, even though, you know, that didn't come out. But um, I'm, I have a mother's wit about that guy and, and the way that he sounded when I spoke to him and the, the what he told the reporters one thing when I knew something different. I'm like, why is he lying? Why do people lie? So, you know, it's kind of suspect. And just the, the thought that, you know, how did Curtis end up in his house? You know, he was the last one that saw Curtis alive. But through the grapevine, I heard that that him and Curtis had had some beef going on recently. And that's why Curtis had to hurry up and get out from that place. So you mean to tell me he's going to come to your house in the middle of the night and you're going to just welcome him on in as if nothing happened? I don't think so. But that's just a mother's wit. Um, I don't, I was, from what I, I got, um, because I remember I talked to I was talking to you and I wanted to go to New York because I wanted to go and I I wanted to do my own investigation, you know. What yeah. I mean? Talk to people. I wanted to press people, as they say, and I wanted to find out some truth because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of truth out there that hasn't been told. It's a lot of truth that's been covered up. It, the, the truth is still there and Curtis's blood is still crying out from the grave is what I say and his blood is going to speak because um, that's what I believe. Yeah, so I will from what I heard and and please correct me is that he got into a fist authentication and um, people was watching as people, you know, this happens all the time um, in New York and everywhere uh guys fight and he was knocked unconscious. And from yeah, from my understanding, of course, I'm down here, but I'm hearing from his friends that were real close to him and you know, just the word on the street and, and the streets do talk. Um it wasn't really a physical altercation as far as him fighting someone. I believe it was, you know, a sucker punch. I believe because they say they brought him out. Some guys, you know, frog hopped him out, whatever that means. And then the punch happened. And then whatever happened when he was laying on the ground unconscious, you know, with people pouring beer on him and, well, and stuff like that and kicking him, you know, that that was my take. That was what I heard from, from the streets that talked. But um, it, it, from my understanding, it wasn't a fight. It was he was walked out and somebody said, here, take this. Boom. And that was that was all she wrote. Yeah, uh, that's even worse than what I heard. Because yeah. from what I, what I was being told that it was supposedly a fair fight, but that was even more cowardly than I could even imagine. Um yeah, and I, I I didn't never knew Curtis to be a fighter. He's more of a lover than a fighter, and he would always talk his way out of stuff. But yeah, you know, I, I hadn't been around him for all those years as he was growing up as a man, so I don't know what his temperament was. But you know, Curtis Curtis seemed to me to be the kind that would talk his way out of stuff and just let's reason together. 
But the way that I heard it, you know, it was unfair. He was walked out and, and punched and they just walked away as if it would nothing happen. So if it's a fair fight, you're going to be there, you know. So, hmm, nah, it all sounds suspect to me because um, I haven't gotten any satisfaction from the detectives who were, you know, supposed to be looking into things and, and um, the, the information that I requested for them wasn't satisfactory to prove anything that anybody had even come in. And, and I knew they had lots of conversations back and forth from people coming in and out. But what they sent to me looked like, you know, absolutely nothing happened. So, you know, it is what it is. But um, I, I believe that there's a whole lot of truth that needs to come out. And I believe that it will. Yeah. And I was I think that's when I I became so jaded after that. And I I used to go on Facebook and just you know like people would 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 put you know saying black life matter posts they got the time or you know some I guess some positive posts and I'd be like you people don't care. Like yeah. no talking about Curtis. I remember posting about him no, I mean, I don't post for likes or anything. I'm posting yeah. for awareness. Right. Like, Curtis wasn't somebody that only a few, a lot of people knew who Curtis was. A lot of people was aware of who he was. Like, a lot of people. Like, in the fact that you're going to post Black Lives Matter and you want to post about... Uh, you know, a cop killing a black man, but you ain't going to post about uh, the black man that you knew, the black brother that you knew. Yeah, I was, I was kind of uh, infurious. Um, <laughs> I was, because I see this, I used to see this on a daily. I used to wow. see this with people and their they're jaded. Um, no, you know they're, they're fickle. I should say fickle's better word. They're fickle. Uh, concern, and unless it was certain people, I mean, I'm. Um, I reached out to uh, Monica, who threw the, um, you know, the uh, the fundraiser. For your son. She's like, I said, I'm, I want to come to New York and talk. She said, Good luck, because no one's saying nothing. Yeah too many people who were talking I was talking to one of um uh one uh, old friend Christian who lived in his house and I you know I said I asked him did he know he said yeah he know and I told him that he, you know his mother found on found out on Facebook she said yeah I'm not surprised that's that's what you know saying people are like that um I didn't get no answer and um I just want to look people in the eyes and someone tell me nothing happened. Yeah. Yep. I was depending on the detectives to do their work, you know, just hoping that they would. And, you know, the response that I got from them was little or nothing, you know, especially, you know, you get a bad feel when two days later and they haven't even contacted you as his mother. They had his phone. Well, actually, they didn't have the, um, the roommate had custody of that, which is another reason for me to be suspect. 
did were there any suspects? Um, yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, when I was talking with the detective on on one one occasion, he said, "We know the guy. We know the guy." But these, he, this is how he said, "We know. I know the guy." But these kids, they're scared to talk. They're scared to say anything. And I'm like, why are they afraid? Who are they afraid of? Why, why won't they come forth? Who's, who's threatening them? Can, can you look into that? You know, I mean, it's like, it's clear to me, if I were a detective, I would have turned up a whole lot of other things based on just the, the information that I was feeding to him that I got from the street. And I took it back to him and said, this is what they're saying. They're saying that um, somebody helped him up and walked him home. Do you have the, have you searched the surveillance cameras along that path to see who really walked him home to see if that was a lie? No, I had a lot of questions and I wasn't getting any answers from the ones who were supposed to be investigating. So I didn't really trust the investigation that they were doing what they were supposed to be doing because it seemed like to me, I'm giving them information like you guys are right there and that's your job to investigate. How do I have more information that I'm passing? passing on to you. Yeah, that's one reason to defund the police. You know, that's the fact that you was you was telling telling him his job. From um, Florida. Yeah, from Florida. From Florida. Yeah, it, you know, like I refuse that no one knows. I refuse that. Oh, they know. They know. I mean, and that's what the detective said. He said, "I know the guy." Whoever this guy is, he says, I know the guy, but these kids, they're afraid to talk. Nobody's saying anything. I'm like, well, you know, can't you just go pick them up anyway on that suspicion and see what shakes out? You know, I mean, I can't tell him how to do his job because I don't know how he's supposed to do it. But it seems to me if you got a suspect or somebody saying something, call them in and ask them questions and, and let their word get around, you know, just whatever. Do something. Yeah, it's it's been three years. Um, three years in August. It'll be three years in August. Three years. I, I I don't know who the guy is, or you know, what I mean, like these. And the thing is, is 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 these kids are not street kids, so they're not living by the no snitch code. They're just afraid for their lives. I, yeah, and that's another thing. That's another thing. I feel like they're afraid for their lives, and some of the the chatter that I heard you know, kind of lend it towards that. I'm like, well, who they, who are they afraid of? You know, it was some graffiti culture that was involved. And, you know, that's a whole nother element, you know, and they told me that Curtis was out of his element being, even being there. But, you know, I, I don't know anything about that, but um, they, they were fearing from their lives. And that's what I heard. I mean, I, the fact that it's been three years and no one told you. I mean, there's one thing that you going to the cops, but no one told you. And that's the thing that um that hurts me and it hurts us hurts me about our um our culture is the fact that at the end of the day the mother don't get consoled. Like at the end of the day the mother suffers. Of the day, um, you don't know. Yeah. That's me because I mean, we 
you know what I'm saying? We could just celebrate his life and um, we could just move on that way and just remember the good time. But at the end of the day, justice is not served and um, not only is it not ser- served, it's not being served. No, it's not being served. And and what is justice anyway? That's a question that I've, you know, just put out. What what would justice look like to me? And and at this point, you know, I just kind of want accountability. I want the NYPD to be accountable for the way that they handle it or did mishandle it or didn't handle it properly, you know, as far as their the protocol, whatever protocol they have, and just the fact that um, you know, even if if you know the guy and you go pick up the guy and he says, yeah, I did it. You know, just some accountability at this point. Just, just I'm just left hanging. You know, they call the case a cold case now, you know, and, and it's been cold for a long time. Um, I, I wrote a letter the other week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, to um, Governor Cuomo asking him to um, reopen it. Just reopen it. Let's let's give it another shot. Let's look at it again. And I, I actually did get a response from his office that they were going to send it over to the commissioner for him to, um, what do you say, for his review and any action deemed appropriate. So I made my plea to the governor, you know, just please take another look at my son's case. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still hoping for if nothing more than accountability, give me that. Just look into it. Don't just let it be cold. So it is, um, according to this letter, it is going to the New York City Police Department, uh, the Commissioner Dermot F. Shea. I hope he's a good guy and will do the right thing. And, and you know, I'll see some movement. I'll hear something, at least that they open it back up. Just something, you know. So um, I'm kind of hopeful because I know my letter did hit the mark and and it is being moved around. I hope the case is reopened. I hope that people will have a, had a change of heart in the light of things that's been going on today and say, well, I do have something on my phone. I was just saving it for prosperity here. You can take a look at it and just something, you know, just just a little bit more hope for closure for the family, you know, because even though I'm good, I'm moving on, you know. Curtis had a sister, he has a brother, his nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, people who loved him. He, he wasn't just a, you know, an ordinary person. He was a person who was well-loved and made an impact in the world. And he shouldn't just, you know, be left hanging like that. He, he, his life mattered. Yeah, definitely. His life mattered to many. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's I, If you wasn't going to say it, I was going to say it. Yeah, his life mattered. <laughs> You yeah. like, like he, like you're not gonna get away killing that brother. Like you're not gonna think like there's so many cold cases of uh, unidentified black men um, who's who's slain on New York streets, and um, and it's not handled with care or whatever, right? And, for that one person, I, I hope it was a, there's accountability because he had so much love in his heart, you know. This, but 
one thing I am grateful for is that at least you, you get you had to um you found you had of his body. Yeah, I, I have friends that their parents they couldn't bury their son because they the body was the, the body was missing. Yeah, even even in his death, I, you know the way that I am, I'll find a bright side somewhere and. The, the good thing I could say, at least he didn't lay right there on the street and die. At least, you know, he had a little sense of dignity and was in someone's home, even though I don't know what happened while he was in that home, really. But at least he wasn't on the street. And and um, at least I got a, a real response from the coroner's office about what really happened because the detectives didn't tell them that he was there as, as a result of an assault. When I called the coroner's office to try to get his body, I told the coroner that he had been assaulted. And the coroner said to me, oh, that's going to change some things, which means they, they were doing look just looking for a toxicology report, I imagine, because people poured beer on him and he might have spelled like beer. Mm. You know, they just going to do a toxicology. I said, no, he was assaulted. And so that it took them a little longer to get the report back because they had to go back and look at some other things based on what I told them from Florida that the detectives, that the police department did not tell them about my son, how he really died. They just, here's another body for you. That's kind of what it sounded like to me. But then yeah. I had to call and say, no, that was not just another body. That was Curtis Ellis Valentine Jr., my son. Uh, I remember reading uh, your post on the wall at what was it the uh, Too Heavy Head Art Gallery? Head Too Heavy, and they have since changed their name. Shortly after that incident, they changed yeah. their name, which means they must have something to hide. And I truly believe that whoever the owner was, some Danny guy, and um, you know, it's just a whole lot of crooked stuff, and that just. You know, from what I heard, the, the police didn't do due diligence because he was somehow connected to someone who works for NYPD and, you know, somebody high up or some relative or something. So, you know, just reason to believe that that a whole lot of things were really, really shady. Yeah. Well, I read your post and you and you said, you know, I had to find out on Facebook my father, my son died. Thank you very much. And you call, and even though you 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 digged on them, and rightfully so, because I, you, it seems like your 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 restraint is saint, more saintly than mine's. <laughs> because you was asking and pleading for help. You was asking and them um, for you know anything, but. The fact that you had to even reach out to them on Facebook. That's the only um, avenue that I had. I didn't have anybody's phone number. I didn't, I, I'm, I, again, I'm living here in Florida. You know, I wasn't going to fly up there and, and make my presence known on the street. Um, not at that time. Anyway, I was too broke and I was, I was just trying to hold it together. You know, it took a couple of weeks just for me to get his body. To, to his hometown of Richmond. So I was dealing with all of that. You know, I'm like, you know, I, that's why I was trusting the, the detectives, the, the police to do their job so that I could, you know, just lay him the rest. But, you know, 
Facebook was all I had. That's where I found out. I'm like, well, that's where the people are. Let me use Facebook. You know, I started a GoFundMe to kind of raise money for a reward, to increase the reward that Crime Stoppers was offering. You know, I was doing what I could down here, but really I felt like it wasn't a whole lot that I could do because if people are not going to come forward and tell what they know, well, what else can I do? You know, I just had to ride out on that piece that I had and hold on to that for dear life. Because if I let go of that piece that I had, man, it would not have been good for anybody. I, I would not be able to even talk to you right now in the strength that I have. It took courage for me to just keep going and, and keep believing and keep trusting and just looking for hope in spite of what looked hopeless. But, you know, I still have hope that one day some, some, the, somebody is going to say something, whether they slip up and say something they think is gone, whether the, they open up this case again and now all of a sudden people want to start talking. Um, some, something's going to shake down because I'm a woman of prayer and I still believe that God's going to bring vengeance because vengeance belongs to him and I'm going to let him do it because I think he can do it a whole lot better than me, but I still want to lend my voice to it now because before I couldn't speak about it, but now I can speak about it. Yeah. It's going to happen at some point. I mean, yeah, there's agreement there. We're in agreement. It's going to happen at some point and I'm going to see, I want to see it before I die. So I'm going to hang out here for a while until I can see that accountability and justice because, um, you know, it's due. Yeah. You know, just just for the fact that uh, Curtis was loved by so many people. Yeah. That, um, and it's that's why it's so surprising. It's been three. It's been three years and nothing because I, I would have thought something would have. I mean, we are getting more information. In a time when we wasn't getting no information, yeah, I was just thought someone's gonna crack because I'm sure whoever these people were who did this, John Gotti, they're not Pablo Escobar, they're not like the top, you know, of 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 whatever. I'm just this is my guess, and um, somebody's gonna say something at some point. Um, yeah, yeah. They are because is that something you have to hold in? That's something you you gotta um, you gotta live with. You yeah. gotta murder on your hands from the bystanders to the murderer. Yeah. To, what's is because I I don't know what happened and I I don't want to um speculate what could have happened, but. For me, it's like the people who stop. If I have an issue with you and I got, I was angry, I was mad, and I killed you for whatever reason. I had an issue with you, not the bystanders. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sick. And um, and I know what type of people they are. Those are the type of people that goes to the marches. Those are the liberals. I'm not, and I'm not. Blakening or generalizing anybody or any group, but these are the type of people he was around, and they're seeing what's going happen in there, and they're um, you know, saying on their Facebook, on their television, and their neighborhoods, the protests, 
Um, I hope that um, hope um, helps them to ease their conscience. And if so, if not, I help you because I hope you don't say a word about what's happened to George Floyd or any black man until you can open your mouth about Curtis. Yep. Whoever you are, whoever you are, until you open your mouth about Curtis, I don't want to, I, like, I didn't want to hear about no one. I didn't want to hear about nobody because they, they, he wouldn't hang around like Republican white kids. or this. I know the type of people he hanged around. And and I can see them being scared. What I can't see is them not saying anything to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's one thing to go to the police, um, the officer. But you said you didn't hear it from me. You know, Mama Love, I, I just want to let you know I love Curtis and this is what happened. How, this is what happened. You didn't hear it from me. Yeah. Yep, anything. But, you know, you can't just stay at that place. Can't just stay at that place because it's a hard place to be. And um, I believe there is light at the end of this tunnel. It's a long, dark tunnel. But I do believe that there's going to be some more light because I am a child of light. And Curtis was a child of light. He brought light and peace to, to everybody that he was around. So, you know, um, I'm just praying that the light shine on this case again and that something comes uncovered that we didn't see before and that there is accountability and something that I can call justice. Accountability would be good. If I could see what justice looked like, I would be forever grateful and thankful. And um, I, I really appreciate you wanting to hear my voice on the subject. Because I, I haven't lended my voice to it like this ever. Yeah, it's to me, it's, it's more than it, to me. I feel like, uh, as someone who loved your son, who had love for your son, and uh, a brother of your son, and I mean, there was some nights, uh, Curtis prevent me from being the one that's in his situation. My mother. Yeah. Can, could have, could have been the one having conversations with Curtis. Well, well I'm glad you're here. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but I had to, um, because I, at some point, I don't see myself not when I visit New York, not um, making my rounds. Just to you know, fill out information because I can't see myself the way it was done. You know, it I, it doesn't rest with me because we have this culture of no this no snitch culture, but we yeah. never think about the mothers. We never think about the brothers, and sons. It's one thing about because of people feel like the police is the opposition. I felt since I was a kid, they were that position. Not that I was a criminal, how they behaved and the tension they came on the neighborhood with. Yeah. So I understand why someone won't want to go into a police, a police um, precinct 
and uh, give information. I don't me growing me growing up and gaining some consciousness. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know tell someone that that's wrong if they do do that. But this for someone not to um, come to you and um, not say anything is uh, heartbreaking. Like reading that post that you left on um, their their wall, it hurt me. Yeah. And people want to say black Black Lives Matter, like really? I know, right? I know it's the same people that's probably on their Facebook right now, but with their posting something about Black Lives Matter. I feel it. Well, I hope they um, grow a conscience, you know, and I hope that this conversation will reach them so that they will start thinking about it. You know, if 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 any life really matters, how about the life that you watch get snuffed out, but you didn't say anything? How much does it really matter? And if if it doesn't matter enough for you to to really move and do the right thing, then you should probably just shut up. Yeah. Um, we're going to wrap this episode. Um, Hi, Jay. But it was more than a pleasure. Um, I'm praying for our justice. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you asking me to be a part of this. Um, I kind of enjoy finding my voice and hearing my voice on the matter because I hadn't spoken too much about it since. But you gave me an opportunity to really, you know, feel good about some of the things that you shared about Curtis. And, and it's good to hear good things about my son. And, and I appreciate you for just reaching out to me. I really do. Yeah. Um, we're going to we're gonna have you back, you know, because other than this story, I feel like you have more to give. I think Curtis uh, in, in death, he brought another life out of you. Oh, yeah, that's a whole nother story, <laughs> but it's good. It's good. And that, that's the part that's going to bring encouragement, you know, from 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 death came life. What life? This life. Let's talk about what's happening now. And, and Curtis is still, you know, the catalyst of that. And and um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to come back and talk to you anytime. Yes. And, and talk about so much more because you have so much value and. Um, we want to know more about your story, your struggles, uh, your asper um, your aspirations in your model career. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that. That that yeah. that'll be another story for another day. But yeah, I, I, a lot of things, a lot of things I can, you know, share with you that came out of this this death to life situation. So I want to give you some time so you can plug your books. Your okay. Every anything you want. Okay, that would be great. I would, I would love to do that. So plug um, your, what's the name of your book? Your books. Yeah, books, and, and there's more to come, but I can't talk about those yet. But, you know, my first one, Who Killed My Son, A Mother's Wait for Justice, it is available on Amazon, or I have a link on my website, 56silverfox.com. 
two X's, Silver Fox, and I have two other books. The first one is Soulful Prayers, and volume one is The Power of Intentional Communication with God, and that book is chopped full of intentional prayers. And in the volume one, my prayer was a mother's wait for justice or waiting for justice, where I poured out my heart about what did I want to see happen in the situation. And then in volume two, Soulful Prayers, volume two, I also have a chapter in that book that speaks about the peace that I'm still holding on to. And the fact that, you know, God, you haven't forgotten me. I'm still waiting for peace. And this is what I want to happen. And I believe that I'm going to see it because you do answer prayers. And these are my prayers. So in those two books, those are two powerful prayers. And I have another book that's coming out that is going to be amazing. But I can't talk about it right now. So maybe by the time I come back, that will be out. But I'm telling you that that oof. I can't say anything, but oof, that that's all I can say. Oof. <laughs> I can't wait. Can't wait. I can't wait. Um, do you have anything to say you um you want to say to the people or to mothers or anybody um who lost a loved one in um senseless violence? Well, you know, I, I, I feel what you feel to any mother who's lost a child, period, because I don't think a mother should bury her child, you know, that the children should bury the mothers in their old age and, and, and it's out of order, it's out of divine order for a mother to have to bury a child, to have to witness uh, horrible things that happen, you know, in that child's life, to lose a child, you know, that's your heart, you bore them in your soul and they're gone. And so I feel that pain, but I want you to be encouraged because of my story, my testimony. I found peace in it because I looked for it. I found the peace where I could find it and I held on to it and it brought me up. You don't have to stay down in a pit. If you want to come up out of that pit, just look for the light in the story and make your child's life a legacy. Find what you can do to just make that life really continue to live on. And even if it's living on through you, do not lay down your life because your child is gone. Do not cry every night. You know, do not allow for that to rob you of your sleep. You know, my testimony is I didn't lose one night's sleep since he died. And that's in itself is a phenomenon. I can't really, really say that has anything to do with me, except I made a decision that I was going to be in peace. And I walk, I'm walking out that piece. So, you know, get you some waterproof mascara, mama. If you need to cry, let your, let your tears speak and know that it's healing for you. So don't try to hold it. You don't have to try to be strong for anybody. You know, just live your life, but make sure you live your life. That was beautiful. That was, that was beautiful. It was touching. And uh, they grabbed hold the ball. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you, and I would love to have you back on. Everyone, take note of what she said. Um, make a prayer, or however you decide to. Uh, you know, communicate your peace or your sifting vibes or whatever, or uh, uh, to Miss um, Charmaine and um, 
her, her family and the hopes of her um, receiving justice and uh, accountability uh, one day. Thank you, everyone. Thank this you. Is, I know what am I? Um, like, comment, subscribe, and we are out. Bye.